where you say, but I am broken. I have nothing whole to bring. I have this and I have that and I have this other thing that I'm, I'm a broken person. I'm not whole. But I'm telling you that my spirit, my spirit will make your spirit whole. And my word says it's better to enter heaven with a whole spirit and a broken body than not to enter at all. So don't, don't hesitate to bring it all to me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, for I will make something beautiful out of those broken pieces, says the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Something beautiful out of the broken. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So thankful we don't have to wait to reach perfection before coming to the Lord. The perfection is not in us. It's not possible. It's only through him. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But thank God we don't have to wait till we can waste time in vain efforts to per perfect ourselves. It's the work that he does within us. We're so grateful. Mighty God, for the work that you do within our hearts as we seek you and we give ourselves over to you, you do a, a work, Lord God, within us of sanctifying us through ups and downs and hardships and victories, Lord God, you do a work within us. I heard something very simple this week, but somewhat profound, I guess, at the same time in the and the story we all know from the scriptures and from children's church that a foolish man builds his house upon the sand and the rains <clears throat> come up. No, the rains come, what the floods come up and the rains come down or the, it would have to start with the rain first and the floods up. And the, and the house on the sand does what? It goes splat as we know from the song. The scripture's a little different, but... Um, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. 
the rock of our salvation, the rock of Jesus Christ. But the, the floods still come and the rains still come. The one who builds his house upon the rock does not get to avoid the storm, but weathers the storm. And so we do at times experience storms and troubles, but unlike those that build their house upon sand, we can have the blessed assurance that we will weather the storm and he will see us through. And we'll come out on the other side more mature, more experienced in the things of Christ and his Holy Spirit. And we're thankful to him for the work that he does within us. I was literally, the, the worship was so beautiful and I said, Lord, my right ear's plugged up. My right toe hurts. I didn't sleep at all last night. So I really don't want to sing this song. And yet I know that the Lord told me to sing this song. I know it without a doubt. So you have to listen with no right ear, a hurt toe, no sleep last night. But some of you will know this song. It dates back to 1965 when Rusty Goodman wrote it. I don't think it was published then. I think it was published in the 90s. But it says, if you could own all the world and its money, build castles tall enough to reach the sky above, if you could know everything there is to know about life's game, yet you've known nothing until you've known the love of God. If you know it, please sing it with me. If you could own all this world and its money, build castles tall enough to reach the sky
of God. You've known nothing until you've known that loving hand. For we were all there once, weren't we? But he lifts us up. This morning, I won't hold you very long, I hope. But I want to talk about something that the Lord put on my heart. There are so many examples of the contrast of the love of God and how deep and how wide it is. And yet, the judgment of God. And I've been asked myself, and you probably have too, how can a loving God allow certain things to happen? Or how could he choose to wipe out an entire group of people? It's important that we know how to reconcile these contrasts in a way that makes sense both to us and to others who might be looking on. Father God, I just ask you this morning, help us, Lord, to understand that love that reaches down to a fallen man. But, oh God, that you are also a judge. You are also a God of righteousness and a God of justice. Help us to understand this morning and learn from your word in Jesus' name. If you would be turning to the book of Nahum, N-A-H-U-M, Nahum. We're going to read some scripture there. But first, I want to give you a bit of a backstory on this scripture. We know that God had claimed his people, the children of Israel and the land of Israel, to be his own people and his own land. He proclaimed his love in many ways, verbally, physically, spiritually, and yet they struggled with staying true to God, and instead we find that they were constantly following the wrong leaders and falling back into sin and idolatry. And you may remember in the book of Exodus chapter 19, God told Moses, now therefore, if you, to tell the people these words, now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, then you shall be a peculiar, peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Meaning God could have chosen any he wanted, but he chose them. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words which thou, Moses, shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And you also remember that the prophet Jonah, whom God called to go to the city of Nineveh and preach repentance to them. And how, though Jonah very reluctantly went, the whole city repented and turned back to God. But if we look at the book of Nahum, Nahum was also a prophet called by God to go to the very same city as Jonah. He was to go less than 90 years after Jonah preached that revival in the city of Nineveh and everyone got saved. Everyone turned their heart 
back to God less than 90 years, they were completely and utterly in idolatry and sin, and they had spurned God's forgiveness, and they had been completely enveloped by the Assyrian Empire. <clears throat> and Nineveh had spurned God's forgiveness and rejected that love, and they were completely turned, as I said, to idolatry. And the thing that marked the kingdom of Assyria was their arrogance against God. And it was their absolute, indescribably horrific treatment of the people that they ruled over. Such oppression had not been known or seen. And I want to tell you where Nineveh was located. Listen to this. Nineveh was located in the northern part of today's Iraq. And the empire of Assyria included most of the Middle Eastern countries that we know today. Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, Palestine, and Lebanon, all of which in some form or fashion are still fighting against Israel Today, the Assyrians had already mercilessly conquered and enslaved the northern kingdom of Israel, and they were preparing and getting ready to invade the southern kingdom of Judah. And the Assyrians, including Nineveh, were known, as I said, for their barbaric treatment of people. So it was dire. Nineveh was referred to as the city of murder. They were cruel and treacherous, and they practiced every social injustice possible against their enemy. Now we're going to begin reading, and we're going to see Nahum chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, and we're going to see this contrast that I was telling you about. Verse 1. This message concerning Nineveh came as a vision to Nahum, who lived in Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous God, filled with vengeance and wrath. Does that sound like what we just sang about and talked about? Well, let's listen. He takes revenge on all those who oppose him and who continues to rage against his enemies. Verse 3, the Lord is slow to get angry, but his power is great, and he never lets the guilty go unpunished. He displays his power in the whirlwind and the storm. The billowing clouds are the dust beneath his feet. At his command, the oceans dry up and the rivers, they disappear, and the lush pastures of Bashan and Carmel fade, and the green forest of Lebanon wither. In his presence, the mountains quake, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles, and its people are destroyed. Who can stand before his fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like a fire, and the mountains crumble to dust 
in his presence. Doesn't this paint a clear picture of the God who takes definite action against those who revile against him or against his people? And that's why the writer of the book of Hebrews said, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 30, and 31. And here that passage, the living God, means the eternal God, the one who can punish the deserving for all eternity. So make no mistake about the contrast of who God is. He is a jealous God by his own admission, jealous for his people and jealous for his land and his justice. But there are some beautiful contrasting characteristics of who God is. And we're going to continue reading Nahum, verse 7. The Lord is good. Don't doubt it. The Lord is good. A strong refuge when trouble comes. He's close to those who trust in him. But he will sweep away his enemies in an overwhelming flood. We know we saw him do this in Exodus. And he will pursue his foes into the darkness of night. It goes on in chapter 2. And Nahum warns Assyria. This was the message that God gave Nahum to deliver to Nineveh and the Assyrians that they've gone too far against God and that he is going to destroy them. And they were so arrogant and they thought that their wealth and their powerful status couldn't be taken down, not even by God himself. But in chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, Nahum rehearses what happened to yet another powerful city called Thebes, situated on the Nile. And the Bible says they were protected on all sides, walled in by walls of water, and they were assisted by the power and the wealth of Ethiopia, Egypt, Pul, and Libya. Yet verse 10 says in chapter 3, Yet, Nahum says, Thebes fell, and her people were led away as captives. Her babies were dashed to death against the stones of the streets. And you, Nineveh, will also stagger like a drunkard. You will hide for fear of the attacking enemy. All of your fortresses will fall. They will be devoured like the ripe figs that fall into the mouths of those who shake the fig trees. And on and on Nahum goes, prophesying the fatal and utter fall of Nineveh. If you look at verse 19, he says this is how dire it is. There is no healing for your wound, for your injury is fatal. 
all who hear of your destruction will clap their hands for joy. Where can anyone be found who has not suffered from your continual cruelty? And so it was that God used Babylon and strengthened Babylon to utterly and completely destroy Nineveh, thought to be indestructible. The source of her wealth was only what she had plundered from those that she had conquered and mistreated so badly. Gouging out eyes and leaving the person to die. Skinning people and lining the walls of the city with skins. And you heard how they dashed the babies, the infants in the streets until they burst. But her strength and her power was deceptive. Because the all-knowing and the all-seeing God, yes, the God of unfathomable love, was also the God of justice. And he will not tolerate such abuse for long. And he will honor his word above all else. I'm sure you heard the reports of October 7th against Hamas, against uh, Israel, and how they took their babies and they butchered them in public. I'm talking two months ago in our time now, in our day, and it was said to be so barbaric and unspeakable things, and it was funded and bolstered by many of the same surrounding countries. Think about it, Lebanon, Syria, Iran, and likely others too. But you can mark the words of the prophet. God will not tolerate this abuse of his people for long. And Israel is still God's people. And the land of Israel is still God's land. This past week, it was announced that two of the main heads of Hamas, and I won't even begin to try to name them, were killed by Israeli forces and the intelligence agent of the Israeli forces, and they were hiding out in Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon. Perhaps you don't know this God of whom we speak, but you want to be sure that you are in right standing with him and not standing in opposition to him. And I'm telling you, you can surely know him and you can know him in his love and his love for you personally. I'm going to close with Ephesians chapter 2, if you would turn there. The Apostle Paul writes of this good news in Ephesians chapter 2, reading verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live this way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like 
everyone else. Verse 4, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Verse 6, where he raised us from the dead, spiritual deadness, along with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 7 through 10, so God can point to us, look at this, so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. For God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Jesus Christ so that we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Nahum's message was twofold. It was judgment for sure, but it could have been love had they just listened and had accepted the gift of his love. And I'm telling you that until you've known that loving hand that reaches down to a fallen man, and as the Bible said, we were all there, but we accepted that love when we believed in Jesus Christ and we were saved by his grace. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you come forward? It is the new year. We're going to take communion this morning. Come forward and get your own elements instead of having it passed out to you. We'll come forward and pray. If you need it brought to you, that's fine. We can do that, but I think everybody's coming. That's great. I also want to say that I realize that the grape juice is different than we normally use. That's my fault. I bought the wrong one, so I'll, I'll get the right one. I don't think the Lord will hold it against us. I've taken communion with apple juice, and I'm still here, so I don't think it's going to hurt anything. But I did want you to know I realized I got the wrong one. Aren't you thankful that he saw us in our sin, and he reached that hand down to a fallen man and lifted us up to sit with Christ in heavenly places? not as a reward for any good thing that we have done, only because of his grace. Thank you, Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord, that you saved us by your son. 
We're thankful, Lord, that we know you in your love and not your wrath. You know, some may think that I talk too much about Israel. You might think, well, what about the United States? But America has been the greatest supporter of the nation of Israel ever in the world. No one comes close to the support of Israel. And I pray that God knows, I know he knows and sees what arm of uh, you know, help and fellowship and support that our country has extended. And I'm going to say this as well, it's so important that we keep people in office who share that love and concern for God's chosen Israel. Don, would you pray over, just go ahead and pray over both and we'll, we'll take both. Lord, we're so mindful of your sacrifice on the cross and the power of what you did Jesus. for us. sacrifice, Lord God, your body being broken for us. As you told your disciples before that event. That this is what we do yes. in remembrance of you. We take the bread as a symbol of the body that was to be broken and that ultimately was. And that we take the cup as a, as a symbol of the blood that was shed, the atoning blood that was shed. Jesus. The deliverance of, our, of us from our sins, Lord God. We just recognize that today as we take this bread and as we take this cup, we honor you and remember your sacrifice, Lord yes. God. Give him thanks this morning. We worship you, Lord. Here we are, Lord. Here I am. In all of our brokenness, Lord, as you pointed out this morning, but your Holy Spirit is the mender of all things. Oh, God, touch bodies this morning. Oh, God, touch spirits this morning, Lord through the power of this broken body and this cup representing your blood. And Father, we ask that you go with us this week. Be with our kids, Lord, as they go back to school and they take tests and finals and get ready for the ending of the year. Direct it all, Lord Jesus, for their good, for their benefit, O oh God. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word, oh God. Help us to live in a life that's pleasing to you, Jesus, above all else. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Till you've known that loving hand. <laughs>